First Peter chapter three. I'm going to start in verse thirteen. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In Romans 8.31, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? It's probably a pretty often quoted verse. If God is for me, who can be against me? I remember when I was younger, I, I would read that and I thought, well, it's obvious nobody can be against us. If God's for us, nobody can be against us. But that's not true. There's obviously people that are against us. But who are they? There's plenty of people that are going to come against us if God is for us, right? But who is against us that matters? I think that's the question here. I think that's what we need to focus on. If God is for us, who can be against us that matters? God is the only lawgiver. He's the one who has the power to save and destroy. If you're a believer in him, you know that. You believe that. But do we really act like we believe that? Do we really think that through at times when we're tempted to fall into the world, to, to submit to worldly principles. He, the creator of life, let's not forget that. He gave you life from nothing. We, 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 under, we believe creation here, and, and I know most of you, if all, not all of you do, believe in even young earth creationism. We talk about it a lot, and we can say that. This is the creator, Jesus, the one who gave life. But do we really? Just stop and think about that for a second. We can't even imagine nothing, right? Because everywhere we've ever been, there's always something. You're born, there's something. Anytime you've been able to recollect anything, you can't picture nothing. But he does it. He creates everything out of nothing. Why? Because he can. He's that powerful. He's that creative. And this is the one. He's given us life. And he's given us redemption. God is for us. If you are in Christ, he's for you. It's not like he's against you. It's not like he's... There's so many different views of God, I think, in, the, in people's minds. Like there's the, there's the genie in a bottle type of God that people have in their minds. Like they're going to pray to him when they want something and, they, and he's going to give it to them. And then there's also the old grandfather type of God that just loves everybody. And, and they have this mixed view of that, the Santa Claus type. There's also, I think, in a lot of people's minds, the tyrant type of God just waiting for you to mess up so he can condemn you. None of those are accurate. The true God, the creator God, has given us redemption, even though we didn't deserve it. So he does love us. But he also, he is for us. 
He is for us to be successful for his glory. If he, that one, the true God, is for us, who's going to come against that? That matters. Also, think about this. The angels in heaven, the multitude of angels, the heavenly host, guess what? They are for us. Right? It says, the angels in heaven rejoice over salvation, right? Anytime someone is saved, there's a, there is a rejoicing in heaven over that soul that has been saved. That heavenly host, that multitude, along with God the Creator, along with Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all for us. What difference does it make who's against us? You remember when you were young? I remember when I was young. I had I had good parents. I'm very thankful for the parents that I had. And there was times whenever, no matter what happened, there would be somebody that in authority, like at school or something. I didn't worry too much about what the school could do to me, punishment wise. I mean, the worst I could do is what give me swats or something. That's quick pain. Suspend me. That stuff didn't scare me. What scared me was what would happen at home, right? Disappointing my parents, the punishment that they could do, that's what worried me. And did did you ever have a time whenever there was something going on and your, your dad would say, you know what, I don't care what they say, this is what I say. And you, when that happened, you had a completely different attitude towards those people. Right? Because it didn't matter what they thought, because you had the authority of your dad. That's the one that mattered. Well, how much magnified are we now as Christians? Are they going to come against us? Absolutely. That's what Peter has been about from chapter 1 until now. It's been about persecution, it's been about things that are going to come, trials, tribulations that are going to come, mainly because you're a Christian. They're going to come against you, but he's saying, who are they? What are they going to do? They can't take away your salvation. They can't take away your life. God does that. And he says in verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you would be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So he's saying right there, you're going, they're, they're going to come against you. And you may suffer in this world for righteousness sake. Now look at this. That is the theme of the book of Peter. Suffering for righteousness sake. And you think about the, the brethren that he's writing to. They were either suffering. Or were going to suffer. Or knew somebody who were under. And this is not like our suffering in the United States suffering. This is like heavy persecution. People were being killed. People were being put in prison. People were starving. Losing their jobs. And that's happening here some. But it was severe suffering. And he says, but look at what he says. It's for righteousness sake. For the sake of righteousness. Our suffering is a testimony to righteousness. And look at it this way. A Christian suffering is proof that this doctrine is not of man, but of God. Have you ever thought about that? Man's doctrine is not going to require you to suffer 
for the glory of that doctrine. Or it might try, but you're not going to go through with that. It, so it's proof that this is, and especially the way you handle that suffering, as we've talked about, when you count it all joy, when you deal with it in the way that Christ has taught us to deal with it. Just like Nate read this morning, we have an example. It was right over there in Second Peter. He did not revile in return. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When we deal with that, it shows, it proves that we are different. It proves that we are sanctified. We're a called people. It proves that this doctrine is not of man, but of God. Persecution also proves that Jesus was true. It, it proves that Jesus was telling the truth in John fifteen eighteen when he said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I mean, stop and think about that for a second. Do you want to follow that guy? I mean, just, just take everything that you know. And there's some guy out here that you don't know, and he's saying, hey, if you follow me, I promise you, everybody's going to hate you just like they hate me. Nobody's signing up for that, right? Just in fleshly terms, nobody's wanting to follow that guy. Hey, everybody hates me. You want to be on my side? No, that's not normal. That is not worldly that is separate and that proves that it's separate jesus said that and people still follow him right we still follow him even though he has promised us that the world is going to hate us that's proof that this doctrine is from heaven and the persecution and suffering also shows the strength of god to keep us strong Amidst the trials. If everything, and God could do it. He could save you and he could make your life go smooth from here on out. If he wanted to. He could do that and and it would be great. But it wouldn't prove that he could keep us. I heard somebody say it a long time ago and it, it stuck with me. One of the most amazing things about the gospel is not only... That God saves you. That is amazing. That is absolutely incredible by itself. That me, a wretched sinner, could be saved. But then the next step on that amazing is that he can save me. Take this vile body. Leave me here in amongst the world, in amongst all this sin, and keep me. That's incredible, isn't it? I know me. I think Spurgeon said, I think it was Spurgeon, not a direct quote, but he said something to the fact of, if I could lose my salvation, I would. And I know me. I would. But I give him the credit. I give him the glory for keeping that. And he keeps us amidst the trials. How how big a testimony is that when persecution comes? You, look, you read about the, the time of the Reformation. And the saints, many of them unnamed, many of them we don't know their name, but their name is known in heaven, would go to the, they would put them and burn them at the stake. And what's the testimony that, they have, that we have? What would they do? It was sing. They would go to the stake and the fire would be coming up and they would be singing hymns. 
They'd put them in the Colosseum and the lions would be coming at them and they would gather together and pray. And I don't care who you are or how wicked you, your heart had become. When you see that, you're, going, you're, you're saying that those people are different. And, and, and Peter says that when this happens, you will be blessed because of it. You may lose your job. You may be thrown in prison. You may be killed for the sake of Christ, but you're blessed because of it. How? You will draw closer to the Father. Probably if you've been a Christian very long, you've went through some, some sort of trial. Maybe you've had family members that were against what you were doing. Maybe you've had um, times in a job where you were threatened because of your faith or or you've been... I mean, there's lots of different things that have come about. And you know, or even even physical trials, sicknesses, those kind of things, you know that when those come, you don't like it at the time, but you know those are the times when you've been closest to the Father, when you've been closest to Christ, and that's one of the ways you're blessed because of that. It also makes you depend on the Holy Spirit more. It gets us, when we lose control of our situation, it turns us away from ourselves and to the Holy Spirit. And it will cause you to look to Christ more as an example. Why? Because we don't know how to deal with this. This is new. I don't know how to deal with this trial. I don't know how to deal with this persecution. I have to turn to Christ and see how he did it. So it draws you closer to the Father, causes you to depend on the Holy Spirit more, and causes us to look to Christ for our example even more. He says, so don't be afraid or troubled because God is the one who can save or destroy. In verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Honor Christ in your hearts, no matter the situation, no matter the time, no matter your feelings. Honor Him in your heart. Look at Philippians 4, verse 10. Four, verse 10 he says but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. When we look at verse 15 in Peter, this is the, this is the key to fulfilling that verse. To be ready to make a defense of the hope that is in us to anyone who asks For someone to ask about the hope that is in you, guess what? 
They have to see the hope that is in you. We, we, what Nate was talking about this morning was dead on with this, with patience. It, it's dead on with a lot of the things that we've been through with that book, with Jerry Bridges' book, um, The uh, Respectable Sins. The things that we have called respectable, people notice that. Patience? You think people don't notice patience? They may not notice patience a whole lot, but they, I promise you they notice impatience. You go to the store. Anybody gone to a, anybody gone to a fast food place and got impatient because it took too long to get you your food? How you react to those situations will, be, will cause people to notice you. And it's going to be, and it's not even those situations as much as it is the people that you're around every day, your family, your coworkers, your schoolmates, your classmates, wherever it is that you are, they have to see a hope within you. Have you ever seen somebody trying to make this defend of the hope that is in them, but people can see it? They haven't accomplished the be content with wherever you are that Paul talked about. It's not. It, it doesn't help. You can say all the right things, it, it, and I, I believe there's a lot of people. I, I think this is important to know. There's a lot of Christians, believers in Christ, who on one hand will try to proclaim Christ and try to do a good job, and I and I applaud their efforts in that. But on the very next hand, on the other hand, will complain about a lot of things. Complaining about their job, complaining about their finances, complaining about this and that, and they're not content with what they have, complaining about where they live, complaining about all of these things, and yet they try to proclaim Christ. That's not going to work. Stop complaining. Be content. I mean, Paul was. Paul learned how to be content with whatever he had. I mean, if you read the life of the Apostle Paul, there was some ups and downs, wasn't there? I mean, more downs than ups, really, after he got saved, as far as his life here on earth. I mean, you can go read about all the trials, and and it really makes us feel very small that we complain about our paycheck when he was stranded on a desert island. He was beat. He was stranded out at sea. And he said, I'm content. And if you'll be content in those situations, no matter what comes up, people will go, wow, that guy's different. That lady is different. What is it? How, what, how do you do it? How do you continue? And then you say, I'm glad you asked. And then you can be ready but they have to ask. So he's saying in a sense, Peter here is saying in a sense, we have a message. We have a message that is clearly not of this world. This is proven by the way the world treats the message and the way they treat those who preach the message. Do you ever just stop and wonder why people hate the gospel so much? I mean, when you, we, we were talking um, the other day to a student of mine, and a comment was, it just seems too good to be true. Well, she was starting to get it. She's starting to see the reality of the gospel. Because the, the truth is, it is 
too good to be true other than Christ. It's not normal. It's not um, of this world. You can't picture this. She's saying it's too good to be true. It almost is. Apart from a perfect, holy, loving, merciful God who made it true. So why do people hate it so bad? I mean, it's really almost a mystery. Except that for it to be true means that you have to be a sinner. It means you're not as good as you think you are. And when you start telling people that, they don't like that. Even though you say, listen, there's a Savior. The Creator gave Himself in your place. No. But the reality is in in a wicked man's heart, they don't want to hear that. Why? Because they want to be good. They want to be the one to save themselves. They want to be the one to do it themselves. And And because of that, they will turn against this message. They will turn against the preachers who are preaching this message. The Christians who are living this message and proclaiming it, they'll turn against them until God moves on them. But that's how he, he will move on them based on your life. He'll cause you to use for his glory in people coming to Christ. And he's going to do that through, through you telling them, proclaiming the gospel to them, but also through the way that you're living so that they'll ask. That's what Peter's talking about here. Don't we want to be used that way? Well, to be used that way, we have to act that way. So Peter's saying, act different. Our message is not of this world, so we must act differently from the world. We must think differently from the world. We must react differently than the world. We must talk different. And we must be content with whatever the world brings us. And he says at the end of that verse, with gentleness and respect. And again, that's opposite of the world. And again, I think us remembering that we were lost in our sins, but for God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there go we. And this is something I think this is really important. I think this is a timely message because just Friday, I don't know if you all have heard, probably most of you have, President Obama sent down a directive to all the schools in the country that they must allow transgender bathrooms. And this has been a hot topic issue for the last couple of weeks because of the whole Target thing and Target allowed now transgenders in their bathrooms and all that stuff. And we have this issue that everybody's dealing with. And And if you're on social media, you can read all kinds of things. And honestly, I've been... I've been really surprised at people. I see a lot of my hometown kids that I went to school with are not kids anymore, but see their reaction to these things, and it's not what I would have thought. I mean, I only live, I only grew up like 70 miles from here. I mean, it's still Middle America, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt, and a lot of the the, the people that I grew up with are completely okay with this. And I'm reading this stuff, and there's this, just this unbelievable burden that's coming on me for these people. And then you read the other side, the so-called Christians. 
And I think they're, li- they're missing the last part of this verse with gentleness and respect. And I thought, okay, transgender, which I personally don't know anybody that is a transgender. But I'm thinking, okay, I saw a testimony um, about a week ago of a former transgender. And he was explaining how he was converted. He gives kind of his testimony and if you've seen it, it it's it's a video on on the internet. It's incredible. He's got tattoo. He tattooed the makeup, like so he 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 can't get. He still looks kind of like he's trying to look like a girl because it's all tattooed on him. He tattooed the mascara and the, all that stuff. And he says he says, look at this. I have to live with this, but it's a great testimony to the power of God to bring me out of that. And I think. We're we're fighting over these bathroom rights, okay? And there's there's certain things that we're going to have to do, and we got to figure out how we're going to deal with all of this stuff. But let's not forget that people's souls are on the line, okay? And a transgender soul is just as valuable as anybody else's. And a lot of the people who are fighting against this in the name of Christ are lost, and the people who are fighting for it in the name of whatever it is that they fight for, are lost. And we've got to get a burden for them. We've got to get a burden for those souls. We're not going to change this policy. We can fight against it legally. We can go we can march on Washington. We can try to change this. And the best that we can do is slow it down. It's coming. It's already here. we got gay marriage is legal. And if you don't make a cake for them, then you're going to prison or you're losing your business. I mean, it's already here. We can't fight against this with politics. What we can fight against it with is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he can still save these souls. And let's not forget that. Because at the end of the day, they're going to die, and they're going to go to hell. And is it going to matter if they were a transgender or a homosexual or a, just a prideful sinner. Let's go after souls. Let's go after people that are sinful, that need Christ, and let's introduce him to the one who can save them. And when he saves them, he'll deal with the rest of that. He'll clean them up. We can't clean them up. We can't do it with policy for sure. Let's go after the souls. And how do we do that? With gentleness and respect. I probably shouldn't have, but I spent some time in the Internet last night in the dark, deep holes of social media looking at these things, just seeing the sides and seeing the viewpoints. And there's some videos, and people are posting these videos. And I thought, you know what? I really have no idea why somebody would be transgender. I don't get it. I'll admit that. But there's a reason. There's something in their life that's driven them that way. Just like there's something in an alcoholic's life that has driven them that way, or a drug addict, or any other sinful lifestyle that somebody is living in, you know, and I, I can have compassion. I can. Why is it that I can have more compassion for the alcoholic than I can for the transgender? Because I can relate to it more? 
because but for, I can really see in that one, except for the grace of God, I would be there because I actually got close, right? In my sinful state, I drank so I can relate to them, but I never had a desire to dress like a woman. So I don't relate to that. But here, here is where theology is important. Here is why understanding the depravity of man is important. It just so happens that that's not the way that my depraved heart was going. But if I understand correctly the depraved man, the wretched, sinful man, I realize that it's just by God's grace I didn't want to dress like a woman. It's just by God's grace that I wasn't falling into all kinds of sexual immorality, homosexuality, and, and that I'm not marching on Washington for the rights of transgenders. That's by God's grace. And if I will leave that, I will have more gentleness and respect towards these people that we're talking about. Let's not forget that. See, because it's a prideful state. I find myself in a prideful state because I never had that desire so I can elevate myself above those people. I never had a desire for homosexuality, so I must be better than them. No, but I was just as wicked and sinful, just with a different sin. And it's God's grace that saved me from that. And it's God's grace that will save them from that. And that's it. That's the key to having gentleness and respect and dealing with these and acting different and thinking different. And I really think that if... if all the professing Christians would spend the time actually trying to help the sinner rather than being right. And this is hitting me at home. This is hitting here. Because I know me. I've done that. I've been there. If we would spend that time proclaiming the gospel with gentleness and respect, we may not be in this same situation. And he says in 16, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. A good conscience, one that's been regenerated by Christ, one that is now good and accurate by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you have a good conscience, is if it's bound to the Holy Spirit and he is now leading it. And one that is kept clear by the daily renewing of the mind and repentance of sin. When you're slandered, those who revile your behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The vain, proud, and arrogant people of the world will seek something evil in you. They'll yearn. You watch the world. You watch them. They yearn for Christians to be fake. They yearn for Christians to mess up. They want to see it. And then when they do, they pounce. But I heard Paul Washer say, I actually just heard it yesterday, but I heard it before. He was talking about the youth, the, the youth sermon that he preached like in 2002. It's been a long time now. But he said he, will not, he doesn't go on the Internet and read comments about it. And he said, this is why, he said, if I read a lot of good comments, then I'll be tempted to believe them. And he said, if I read a lot of negative comments then they could crush him. And, they, and so he says, I leave myself open to criticism of godly men who he knows. But he said, he said this, 
He said, if somebody is slandering Christ or slandering the Word of God or God Himself, the Father or the Holy Spirit, if they're slandering them and speaking evil, He says it's always false. But if they start slandering me and speaking evil of me, it's not always false. And I thought, how true is that for me? You can read, I mean, they can read comments, they can say comments, they can slander us, they can revile us, and the truth is they can find truth. And when they do, they love it. They can find true mistakes in our lives, they love it. But he says, that's why we have a good, clear conscience. They want that. They want to find it. But he says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And I think that humble attitude can be shameful to them. If they find out, okay, hey, Justin. We heard you lost your temper at school the other day and kicked a trash can. It's been a while ago, but it it happened. (laughs) Talk about patience. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I have learned this. I think Chris spoke to this this morning, or maybe it was Darren, I don't know. But when we do mess up like that, to admit it hum- humbly and come to them and apologize is a huge thing for the world to see because they will recognize humility. And by that humility, they can be put to shame. And then he says in 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As you read that, you think about suffering. Is there any way to avoid suffering on this earth? Has anybody found it? Because if you have, I need to talk to you. I need to figure that out. It's going to come. Suffering is going to come no matter what. There's some suffering that will come because of your evil actions. The law of the land. If you break the law, if you steal, if you commit murder... If you do those things, you're going to suffer. They're going to put you in prison. They're going to fine you. They're going to maybe even execute the death penalty on you. That's suffering because of your sin. Or what about if you're just suffering, if you're caught up in a sinful lifestyle, there's suffering that comes along with that. Think about gangs. These poor kids get caught up in these gangs and they suffer. They suffer because of where they are. Because if they don't do it just right, they're going to get beat and they're going to get, or they get into these gang fights with other gangs and territory and all that stuff. Or drugs, you're running drugs and something goes bad and you wind up getting your teeth kicked out. Suffering because of your sin. Or just nature itself. Certain sinful lifestyles will cause you to suffer more physically because of your lifestyle. Am I right? I mean, find somebody who's spent the last 30 years drinking and look at their liver compared to somebody who hasn't. They're going to suffer more because of that sinful lifestyle, physically speaking. So there's certain things that you can bring on yourself from evil. But he's saying here it's much better 
to suffer for righteousness sake. We're going to suffer anyway. Why not do it for the glory of God? Why not do it for the purpose of righteousness sake, for the furthering of the gospel? You're going, to, you, you, you're going to either wear your body out partying all night or you can wear your body out going out to... I, I, some, many of you met Brady Brewer. He came and spoke here. He was at Bricktown last night down, down by the bars. He said all kinds of levels of debauchery. And he spent his night out there preaching the gospel. If you're going to wear yourself out, do it for Christ. And he says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered... Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And this is our great example. This is who we turn to. In all of these things, he did not leave us without an example. We turn to Christ. I heard, I was listening to Wretched Radio yesterday, and I heard... uh, they were talking about there's all there's there's this big issue on when kids leave the church and they go to college and they turn away from the faith and I'm looking at these guys and that's why I have a burden for them and they ask and they ask this millennial he they call him a millennial I still don't know what that means but he's a young guy that's fresh out of college and they asked him why did you he and he while he was in college I guess he turned away and that now he's saved and but they asked him why he turned away. And he gave us several lists. And one of the things that he said was they never really, he never really knew what the gospel was. In his church that he grew up in, it never was clear what the gospel was. And I certainly don't want to see us fall into that. And, as long as, and that's one thing about preaching expositorily. It's really almost impossibility because here, what does Peter do? He's given us all these things. He's given us these instructions. And what does he do in verse 18? He turns back to the gospel. Always turn back to the gospel. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's the gospel. It is Christ, the creator, the one I just talked about, how awesome that is. He created something out of nothing. He created us out of the dirt. And he comes and becomes one of us. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. He becomes a man. And he lives that perfect life. And he does it for several reasons. One was for our example. But he also lived that perfect life to to fulfill all righteousness. He had to be the one. He had to live it. So he lives the perfect life. And we can look back to him as our example. Though he was reviled, he did not revile back. He was spit on. His beard was pulled on. He was crown of thorns was put in his face. Dylan, it, I got to get it on tape or and like CD or MP3 or whatever it is. I got to get that. He did it. It's been, what, a couple months ago. It was a spoken word. And he talked about the spit that came on Christ. He created the saliva glands that create that made that those thorns that were put on his head who do you think caused them to grow out of the ground it was christ it was god the purple robe 
Where did the purple come from? Purple was the dye to make a purple robe was extremely rare. It came from a, a rare worm, and they would crush the worm and use his blood to make the purple dye. Where do you think that worm came from? He created it all, and he submitted to that, and we can look to him as our example. And he suffered. But when you talk about the suffering of Christ, it was more than the earthly suffering. It was more than the physical punishment that he received from the Romans. It was more than the emotional distraught that he received from being rejected by his own people. No, he suffered the wrath of God. He suffered a wrath that would take me an eternity to suffer. I could spend eternity under God's wrath in hell, and I still didn't get what I fully deserved. It takes eternity for me to receive it. He received it for all of us in one day. In one instant, he received all of that wrath of God. He bore it, the righteous for the unrighteous, the only one who didn't deserve it. And he took it on himself, and we now... We have a response to make. There's people in here that maybe haven't bowed a knee to Christ. I don't know. But I know this. If you haven't, you have, you have a response to this message. He bore the sins. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to submit to him? Are you going to bow to him? Are you going to repent and believe And put your faith in him and trust in him. Or are you going to turn away? Are you going to blow it off? Shrug it off? What are you going to do? It comes down to that. It comes down to you. But he was our great example. We don't serve a king who sent us into battle. We serve a king who went to the battle first. We serve a savior who suffered great things on our behalf He suffered what we couldn't. It says once for our sins, one time. We don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Peter's saying we can suffer whatever it is that man can throw at us now. Can we not take that for a short period of time because we didn't have to suffer the wrath of God? And what are they going to do? They're going to kill you to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Before, I heard, it, I heard it said like this, before the doctor pronounces you dead, you'll be with Christ. Before even man knows you've died, you're with him. So what are they going to do? Are they going to kill us? Is that a threat? I mean, is that what we're afraid of? Are we afraid of a little bit of suffering and pain? When he suffered the full wrath of God, the righteous for the unrighteous, The perfect holy one in place of a wretched sinner. And it says he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Can you picture that? The perfect holy son of God becoming sin and suffering the wrath of God. And why? So that he can look on you dead in your sins, but he can pick you up 
and give you life and bring you to God. He can bring you to the throne of grace. And He can breathe new life in you. And you can hear this message. You're hearing it. You're probably thinking two of, one of two things. If you're a Christian, you're thinking, yeah, I need to do this. This is exactly what he says. I want to fall in line. I want to submit to Christ. I want to be stronger. I, but I, I can't. I can't do it. What do you do? You pray. You depend on the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can do that. Or if you're not a believer, you may be thinking, this sounds crazy. We heard Godwin's testimony, the, the man from India. And it was, it was really refreshing for him to hear. Because when he heard about Christ the first time, he had never heard about Christ. I mean, he'd never even heard of this Jesus. And he talked about him being the spooky Jesus. The spooky Jesus coming from heaven. You may, you may not think of Jesus as spooky because you've been an American. You've heard about him your whole life. But you may be thinking, this sounds crazy. I don't want to suffer. But can you see that? He give you life. He 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 has or This is the only way that God can be both both just and loving at the same time. He had to sacrifice himself. Because if he would have just chose to save sinners, that wouldn't have been just. Somebody had to receive the punishment. Somebody has to, somebody has to die. Somebody has to receive his wrath. And he had every right to send every single one of us to hell. He had every right to send Adam and Eve to hell then and wipe off mankind. And we never would have been able to even be alive. I'm quite thankful I got to live. I'm quite thankful... I get to enjoy the things that he's blessed me with. But he sent us a redeemer. And it's the only way. And, and, that, and that's why it's so important that we realize there is no other way. There is no other name under heaven and earth which men can be saved. And we've got to stand solid on that. There's, there's, so many, there's so many people out there that want to compromise on certain things. And, and I think, and they can do it even as the, um, under the guise of being gentle and respectful. Okay, and there's certain ways you can be gentle and respectful, but we cannot compromise that. We cannot compromise that he is the only way, because he is the only way. And if we compromise that, people will die and they'll go to hell. And we must seek. So we must seek for that reconciliation to Christ and Him alone. So, the next part of this chapter, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. It's going to change gears just a little bit. I encourage you to go read it ahead of time, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll go through it together. But as we look at this point in Peter and everything that he's teaching us, and I don't think it's any coincidence as we look at the world, looks like it's about to spin off its axis. 
I mean, it really is just incredible how fast things are just changing in our country and probably across the world. We have to be prepared for how we're going to deal with these situations and how we're going to deal with the people. We cannot lose that patience. We have to have patience with sinners because how long suffering was God with us before we were saved? And we have to have patience with believers because how long suffering is God with us now? That's our example. And we have, I, I, I think I need to pray for more of a burden for lost souls. That's what we need. If we have a burden for lost souls, he's going to teach us how to go after them. The Holy Spirit will go after him and he'll take us with him. That's what we need to be praying for. And our leadership in the country and our, our leadership in our... Listen, pray for our, our school leaders. There's Christian school leaders that are going to have real tough decisions to make. They may wind up suffering persecution. There's, I mean, and it's not just the schools. This is not going to stop there. This is going to go to anybody that works for the government, any federal buildings. This is not, I mean, if you think this isn't going to affect you, you haven't been paying attention. It's going to affect us. We have to know how we're going to deal with it. So pray. Spend time in prayer over these situations. How are we going to deal with, not just this situation, but any other ones that come up, how are we going to deal with this persecution, these trials? these changing of times, changing of culture as Christians that we would glorify Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you, God. I I thank you that you you gave us this word, this instruction, and how it so fits today, how it's so needed today, written 2,000 years ago, and, and we have it, and it it transcends the culture. I praise you for that. I praise you for Peter and his life that you gave him to to use for your glory and for Paul and, and for all those who you used in writing that. I pray, God, that we would have more of a desire to know it, that we would have more of a desire to to learn it, to be ready. And, God, I pray for each of us especially that people would see us, that we would live our lives in a way that we would have an attitude that would cause people to ask of the hope that lies within us and that we would be ready to give an answer. I just I, I, I pray for Randy as he's preaching the word, um, that you would just grant him clarity. And that you would provide a message. I pray for that church that you would provide exactly what they need. And that you would be glorified. I pray for the women's Bible study today. and That you would just bless that time. Bless their fellowship. Bless their studies. Lord, help them to to understand you better. That they could serve you better. Lord, that, that would be all of our goals. That we would seek and serve. And that we would seek out the lost. That you would give us a burden for the lost that we would want to proclaim your gospel more to a dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.